Uh, why don't you turn with me, if you have your Bibles or electronic devices, 1 Peter chapter 2. We're in this series called Culture Shock. Uh, we've been in this series the last few weeks, and uh, we're going to continue in this series this week and the next week. Next week, if you want to read ahead, uh, Daniel chapter 1. I mean, Daniel chapter 1 is an unbelievable story of, of Daniel. We're going to understand the whole book of Daniel next week. Daniel responded to culture shift, responded to a culture that was like anti-God and all of those other things. And Daniel led, the, led his culture, his, his generation, into like three revivals. And so I think there's a lot of wisdom for us to glean out of the book of Daniel. And so we're going to do that next weekend. This weekend, the topic of this, ser- this sermon is shock and awe. In other words, instead of being shocked by our culture, instead of being shocked by the the shifts that are going on in our culture, the changes that are going on in our culture, the things that are going around us, instead of being shocked by that, we really should be in awe of what God is doing. We really should be in awe of what God is doing, even in this culture, even in this generation. You see, Simon Peter is writing to the first century Christians, and they're being persecuted for their faith. And, and they came to the place to where they were no longer shocked by that, but they were in awe of what God had done for them, what God had set them free from, that they were taken out of darkness into his marvelous light. They were once not a people, now they are a people. They're a chosen possession. They're a royal priesthood. They are God's children. And they just stayed in awe of what God was doing in their life. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9 through 12. Here's what the scripture says. But you are a chosen generation or chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into not just any light, but into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. In other words, exile means just someone just passing through that we're just temporary here. And he goes on and he says to abstain from the passions, passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And so what Simon Peter is writing in and he's speaking into these uh, first, uh, first, uh, first century Christians is this issue of just stay in awe of God, regardless of what happens around us. Just stay in awe of what God is doing and how he's working. In other words, this, because of the awe of God, because when you stay in awe of God, man, his word takes on a different foundation for your life. His word takes on a different meaning. In other words, this, when you stand in awe of God, that we can have deep convictions and we don't soften our convictions in other words we don't go along with every cultural shift we don't go along with popular opinion in other words when when we stay in awe of god we don't water down the gospel and begin to to uh to 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 change our theology see simon peter is writing to these christians and he's helping them understand how do you respond when you're the minority How do you respond when you're being marginalized and you're being pushed to the margins of society as a Christian? And how do you respond when you're the minority? Now listen, it really seems odd to me that we're having this discussion that we're the minority and that we're being marginalized. Because after all, depending on what statistic you read and what what, what statistic is taken and survey is taken, 75% of Americans self-identify as Christian. 75%. 
Ed Stetzer, who is the vice president of Lifeway Magazine, uh, is, is a researcher and, and a statistician, and uh, he conducted a, a survey for like over a year as far as what does it mean, those 75% of Americans that self-identify as Christians, what is made up in that, of that group? What are the beliefs in that group? And what he found was this. After a year of research and, and surveys, he found that there's three subgroups in that 75% of Americans that self-identify as Christians. There's uh, cultural Christians, there's congregational Christians, and then there's convictional Christians that make up the 75% of the group. In other words, what Ed Stetzer found in his survey was this, is that, is that there's, a, there's a group of people called cultural Christians. In other words, this group of people would just call themselves Christians because society tells you you've got to call yourself something. And so they, they, they have a general belief in God. Uh, they, may have, they may have gone to church once or twice in, in childhood. They may not have gone to church. Uh, they, they just believe in God, so they call themselves uh, Christians. It has more to do about their heritage uh, than it does about their hearts. And it, it's not about a commitment that was made. And so they may go to church like a, a few times of the year. They never miss Christmas. They never miss Easter. And so they're really not living out their faith. They really don't have a vibrant faith. They've really never made a commitment. Just since they have this general belief in God, they would just call themselves Christians. And so he said there's, there's some of that going on in that 75%. But he said also in that 75% is another subgroup of called congregational Christians. And, and so these are some Christians that have some general connection to the local church. Uh, they, they may be a, a member of church, but they, they haven't been involved in years. Maybe the last time they were involved it was, was childhood. Uh, they don't really go that often. It, 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 it really is something that they were and they're no longer going. And, and so they don't, they don't live their life based upon the Scriptures. They don't live their life based upon what Scripture teaches. And so really and truly, this subgroup, they're just, they're just Christians in, like, name only because they kind of believe that church membership gives them Christianity at exactly the same time that culture changes. You know what this is called, just in theological cir circles, just real quickly? This is called progressive theology. Uh, progressive theology is this. Progressive theology is, is, to, where, is to where an individual believes uh, that they take culture, they take popular opinion, they take culture, and they, 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 they use the lens of culture to look at Scripture, and they pu push culture into scripture that's all progressive theology is systematic theology biblical theology that we practice here is totally different uh, biblical theology is systematic theology is one precept built upon another one doctrine builds upon another and then you take scripture and you use the lens of scripture to look at culture totally different this is why you'll hear people that buy into progressive theology and they'll say things like like well you know what the Bible was written thousands of years ago. We're much more advanced than we were when the Bible was written. Culture has changed. Shifts have changed. We learn some things. You know what that is? That's progressive theology. That's a group of people that believes that the way they interpret Scripture is by taking culture and pressing culture into Scripture. But biblical theology is totally different. Where we Listen, when you stand in awe of God, His Word becomes the authority in your life. And then you take Scripture and you press that into culture. The second thing that we're called to do is this. We're not only called to be people of conviction, but we're called to be people of, of compassion. We're called to be people of compassion. Now listen, the world tells you that if you're going to be people of conviction, then you cannot have compassion, right? 
And sometimes we see a lot of angry Christians, right? And they have these, the, they have these convictions, and they believe that if I'm going to have deep convictions, that I'm going to be an angry Christian, and, and I'm going to make angry Facebook posts and, and, and Twitter rants and, and angry emails, and I'm going to turn it into us versus them. But the Bible says this, that as believers that we are called, we are called to be people of conviction and people of compassion. See, being, pe- being called to be people of conviction and compassion means that we love the world, we love the people that God has called us to love and not set it up us versus them. Anytime we take it and we make it us versus them and we try to get pagans to live like Christians and we try to force that, and all of a sudden it makes them the opposition, it makes them the enemy, and every time that happens, the enemy wins. As Christians, we're called and we are called to be people of conviction. But we're also called to be people of deep com- compassion. After all, what did Jesus say? What did, what did Jesus say? The way that the world would know us. That we're to be known by... Okay, we've got to get this one right. Okay. okay, so Jesus said, we will be known by our, our love. That's what Jesus said. That we can be people of convictions and people of compassion. And the, and the problem is most believers do not understand that. In fact, as Jesus said this, John chapter 13, verse 34. Here's what he said. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. This doesn't, listen, stop right there. This does not mean, this does not mean we water down the gospel. This does not mean that we compromise our convictions. But this means that we're, we're just known that we're known for our compassion. We're known more for our compassion than our convictions. And so he just said, I give to you that you love one another just as I loved you. You also are to love one another by this. All people will know, here we go, that you're my disciples. If you love one another. See, what makes this a new command is this, is Jesus said, the same way I've loved you, you love others. That's what makes it a new command. The the same love that I have for you, you use that love. You love others the same way. 1 Peter uh, 3, 8 puts it this way. He says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil, reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. In other words, don't return Facebook post for Facebook post. Tweet for tweet. And in case you guys don't know Twitter, that may seem like really weird to you. <laughs> I'll explain it later. First Peter 4, 8 says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality. You know the definition of hospitality? So we've watered, churches watered hospitality down because we love fellowship, right? And so we've made hospitality to believe, uh, to mean, I just like to have people over at my house and I feed them. That's hospitality. That's, that's not the biblical definition of hospitality. In the Greek, hospitality means this, love for strangers. Love for, stra- love for people you don't even know. Love for that customer service person. Love for that waiter or waitress at your table. Love for the person at the gas station. Love for that co-worker. Love, love, for, love for strangers. Because we're to be known. We're to be known by our compassion. We're to be known by our love. And he goes on and he says, 
Where am I? Here we are. Verse 9. There we go. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And so then he goes on, 1 Peter 2.15. Here's what he says. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. In other words, God's people is that we live in a culture and that by doing good, by having compassion, we would just like silence the foolish talks. I mean, Christian, listen, Christians have tried. We've tried boycotts. We've tried protests. We've had bumper sticker wars, right? We tried to g gain political power. What if we tried this? What if in the church we loved one another deeply? What if we were willing to show radical acts of kindness and, and generosity? See, I believe when the world sees our compassion, our love for one another, they'll care about our convictions. When they see our convictions without our compassion, you know what happens? We turn it into us versus them, and we push the very people away that we're called to reach. See, I believe when they, when they see our compassion, they'll care. They'll care about our convictions. I mean, it's, it's easy to love the lovable. It's easy to, to bless those who bless you back. It's easy to love those who have the same convictions as you. But we, we have an opportunity to live out a, a new command. Just as I have loved you, love others. Love others. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. For, do, for, for, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus didn't return insult for insult, one punch for another, one Facebook post for another. I mean, on the cross, Jesus just simply prayed, Father, forgive them. Just forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Can we be just content with entrusting ourselves to God who judges ju justly? The, the, the church, the early church flourished because in the midst of persecution, they left their, they let their compassion just silence the ignorant talk under, under pressure of, of Nero. And the Christians uh, could not hold political office. They, they could, Christians could not even vote. Fact is, under Nero, Christians had no religious freedoms. But the church turned the world upside down. How? By living countercultural lives. By allowing people to see their compassions before they saw their convictions. They lived countercultural lives they they started orphanages they began they began taking children and babies off the streets that moms had abandoned they began ministering to the sick they began treating each other differently and when the church began to do that the the community took notice and when rome became a christian nation they went from winning the world through 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 uh, through, they went from winning the world through being the minority to winning the world through power, and it did not go well for them. In other words, when they traded Christianity 
love for its power. It did not go well for them. And, and so what Simon Peter is trying to get them to understand is that, that we live out of, not out of power, but we live out of love and compassion. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 2 says, Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Verse 3, if indeed, if indeed you're a Christian, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is, is good. In other words, that if you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, we have a desire for his word. You have a desire just to live in awe of him. And really and truly, that's our goal. In the morning, this would be the time that you just simply ask him to come into your life and to forgive you of your sins and just give you the gift of eternal life. Maybe this is the day, that maybe this is the moment where you just taste and see that the Lord is good. There's testimony after testimony after testimony in this room of people, men and women, that have just tasted and seen that the, that the Lord is good. Because this world will leave you empty. This world will leave you wanting more. Maybe this morning you say, you know what, I'm a believer. And I, I don't know what my next step is. Well, every one of us has a next step. It's, that's why it's called a spiritual journey. That's why it's called a spiritual walk. Maybe for you is to evaluate. Are you a convictional Christian? Are you in it for what you can get out of it? Are you in it for what you can give? And it's just some deep-held convictions for you. It's not cultural. It's not because of your heritage. It's not congregational. It's not because you just got a membership at a church somewhere. But it is convictional. Because I'm telling you, if it's cultural or congregational, when this world mocks you, maligns you, put pressure on you, you'll opt out every time. It has to be convictional. And maybe you just need to evaluate that. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, you know what, I, I'm just carrying a burden. I, I just, I need someone to pray for me. This is a moment in our service in just a few minutes when we just minister to each other, when we pray for each other, when we encourage each other. And so if you're here and you say, you know what, I, I, I'm carrying something and I've had a tough week. I'm going through a difficult season in my life. I just need someone to encourage me and pray for me. Just to comfort me, to encourage me, to add their faith to my faith. Just to pray for me, whether it's a financial issue, a medical issue, a relational issue. You know what? You may be trying to discern God's will for your life. You, you, may, you may want to pray for someone else that you're really burdened for. If you're carrying a burden, we just want to pray for you. So in just a few minutes after I pray, we're going to stand. And when we stand together, I'm going to invite you. That if you need prayer in any area of your life, as you stand up, would you step out? Begin making your way down to the front. You don't have to walk along. People will be walking with you. This is a safe place. You just tell them your name, how they can pray for you. They'd love to have the opportunity to pray for you. So if you need prayer in any area of your life, after I pray, you come. Father, we thank you. Father, we just thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that we can just stand on, on your word. Father, we thank you that your word doesn't change. Culture may change. Values may change. Opinions may change. But, Father, we know that they're going to change. But your word, your word never changes. Your word remains forever, and we just thank you for that. That gives us security. 
And so, Father, I just pray for those right now that just need to respond to you in prayer. That they'd understand that this is just a, this is a safe place. That they'd receive prayer and that they'd find comfort, they'd find encouragement, they'd just find support as we add our faith to their faith. Father, we thank you that you have called us just to minister to one another, just to love one another, just to care for one another and to pray for one another. There's the greatest display of the local church when we just humble ourselves and we receive prayer and then we pray for others. Father, we love you. We look forward to see what you're going to do. For we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.